Good afternoon, everyone. Probably no secret to you that we live in a world divided, a world that does not know peace, a world divided between East and West, between Arab and Jew, nation against nation, race against race, and the world needs reconciliation. White, black, brown, yellow, Arab, Jew, East and West, and more of the divisions that we see in the world need reconciliation with the others. What is reconciliation exactly? To be reconciled means to be brought back to friendship and harmony after estrangement or separation. What if the races and nations of the world were reconciled? The Jews in Palestine, rather than being attacked by the Arabs, could help the Arabs and perhaps vice versa. Nations all over the globe could help each other instead of fighting each other. But you might ask, why is it that the world is divided? And it's not because men have not tried various approaches to unity and harmony. One of the purposes of the Tower of Babel we read about in the Bible was to unify mankind under one government. Notice in Genesis 11 and verse 1, it says the whole earth had one language and one speech and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So their goal was to avoid being scattered, to avoid, in a sense, being divided. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. The problem with their seeking after unity is that they were doing it in rebellion toward God in the way that they were going about it. Various empires have sought to unify the world under one government, including the Roman Empire as well as others before and since the Roman Empire. Pope Innocent III envisioned a world unified and at peace under the control of the Roman Catholic Church. After World War I, Nations sought to have unity in the League of Nations. And again, after World War II, the United Nations was established in an effort to ensure unity and peace among the nations. Yet all these attempts at unity have failed. We might ask why, and the answer is very simple, because the world itself is at enmity with God, the Creator. The world is at war with the one source of wisdom, 
of righteousness, of power that could give us reconciliation with one another and peace. Not peace lasting just a few years, but peace for an indefinite period of time. The greatest need actually is not so much reconciliation between nations as between mankind and God because that's the key to our getting along with one another as well. The major theme of the Feast of Atonement is just that. It is reconciliation between mankind and God. And that's what I want to focus on in today's sermon. It was mentioned briefly in the sermonette, but I want to elaborate on this theme. And that's what I want to focus on in today's sermon. Without God, there is no hope for a permanent peace among nations. 6,000 years of almost ceaseless war have demonstrated that. Without God, there is no hope of eternal life. Without God, mankind's outlook is bleak. At best, only a hopeless material existence without a future. The world is cut off from God. Writing to the church in Ephesus, Paul reminded the converts there of their condition before they were converted. And that condition now applies to most of mankind. He wrote in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 2, that they had been dead in trespasses and sins, in which he continued, You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So they were walking in the path and according to the influence of a spirit who works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So what Paul is saying is that everybody in the world who is following this path and only a relatively small number have found a different path or are pursuing a different path but everybody in the world is walking down the same path of lawlessness the path that they are being influenced to follow by this prince of the power of the air this spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience and are by nature children of wrath. Paul went on to say in verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, and he was writing to a church which was largely Gentiles who had been converted, although no doubt some were Jewish converts as well. But he went on to say, Who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now this is the condition of mankind, separated from God without hope and without God in the world. Paul explains further 
In Romans chapter 5, why the world is cut off. In Romans 5 verse 12, he said, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So death has reigned. It has reigned from Adam to Moses, and it's reigned since Moses up to the present day. And it is sin that has caused this reign of death. Sin is the transgression of God's commandments. And because of universal sin on the part of mankind, mankind is alienated from God. In Isaiah 59, beginning with verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. He goes on to give us examples of what sin is, and you might think about why these things would alienate us from God. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace have they not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Notice he says, whoever takes that way shall not know peace. That's why we haven't had peace in the world. For 6,000 years, it's because of the way that mankind has taken the way of sin, the way of evil. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light. A lot of people claim to want to know God or want to know the truth, but there's darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind. And in essence, this is what happens when human beings try to set up organizations and systems to ensure peace and unity among men. They're groping as though they were blind because their methods are not going to work. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noondays, at twilight, we are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none for salvation. 
but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied against you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. This is the reason that we are alienated from God. Paul wrote in Romans 5, as we read earlier, that we live under a reign of death and ruling over that the world is a great prince who has led mankind in this way of destruction and death. His name is Abaddon, or Apollyon. Abaddon being the Aramaic and Apollyon the Greek. Both of those words mean destroyer. He's also known as Satan, which means adversary. He was the first to rebel against God who had created him and he has held sway over the world since the time of Adam and Eve when they chose to give in to Satan's influences rather than be faithful to God. In 1 John 12 verse 31 and elsewhere he is called the prince of this world. The Greek word used for prince as it's translated in many translations the Greek word is archon which can mean prince or ruler. In John 8, verse 44, he is condemned as a murderer and the father of lies. Satan is the enemy of God. He is the ruler of this present age. And virtually the entire world is under his sway. In Revelation 12, verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. The world has followed the path of Satan in rebellion and living in sin and transgressing God's laws. And so the world is cut off from God. Now, in Ephesians 2 and verse 13, Paul wrote, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of, of separation. The world can be reconciled to God. Even though the world has been alienated from God, it can be reconciled to God. And the key to that reconciliation is faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote, as we just read here, he himself is our peace, or he is the way to our being at peace with God. And his death made possible the path forward to reconciliation with God. God has taken the first step toward reconciling the world to himself through the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. You might say that included the Father, of course, because the Father gave Jesus Christ, His beloved Son, to allow Him to become a human being and die 
to pay that penalty because the penalty for sin is death. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. In Romans 5, verse 8, Paul wrote, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, Christ's death, of course, was necessary for the world to be reconciled to God, but it requires more than that. It requires His life. He is a living Savior, not a dead Savior. And we are saved by His life. His life, His resurrection, points the way to what being reconciled to God ultimately means for mankind. Verse 11, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Those who have repented of their sins and who have been forgiven of their sins and received the Holy Spirit have been reconciled to God because it was our sins that Jesus Christ bore, as Peter wrote, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul went on to say of Christ and his death, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Now here Paul is writing about the division between Jew and Gentile and the enmity that existed at that time and has continued to exist down to our day to day. And so what Paul is saying is that Christ's death not only made reconciliation with God possible, but it also contains the formula for reconciling human beings to one another, such as Jew and Gentile having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, the Gentiles, and to those who were near, neither one was all that near to God, but in some ways the Jews were more near than Gentiles, at least they had the covenants and so forth. But he went on to say in verse 18, For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now the law of commandments contained in ordinances mentioned here by Paul refers to the man-made laws, customs, and traditions that have created hostility and separation between groups of people such as Jews and Gentiles. And those hostilities are carried on often from generation to generation through various customs and traditions that are passed on 
that tend to divide and separate people in a way that is not good. But through Jesus Christ, we're told, all may be reconciled to God, first of all, and to one another. When human beings are reconciled to God, they will more or less automatically be reconciled to one another. And it is true faith in Jesus Christ that is the way to reconciliation. In Colossians 1 and verse 19, Paul said, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, that is, in Jesus Christ, and by him, that is, by Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself. All things are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. To reconcile all things to himself by him, that is, by Jesus Christ, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now notice again, what is the source, the cause of the alienation? It is by wickedness, by sin, and, and sin begins in the mind. You who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I Paul became a minister notice it is that faith genuine Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith which comes from God, which is the path forward to reconciliation, which produces that reconciliation. And the Greek word here in this passage for reconcile in verse 20 and elsewhere, the Greek word is katalaso, which means to decisively change. Kyle also translated reconcile here means to decisively change. And it is speaking of a relationship which undergoes a decisive change in this context. What reconciliation means is that our relationship with God is changed. It is changed through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. But that occurs only if we are changed through repentance. For our relationship with God to change, we must be changed. In Daniel 9 verse 24 is a prophecy often called the 70 weeks prophecy and because it is about a 70 week period of time, prophetic weeks. It says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now notice it says here, to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Notice that ending sin, finishing transgression, 
is placed in the context of reconciliation and bringing in everlasting righteousness. Reconciliation occurs when sins are dealt with and there comes an end to sin. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, Paul wrote of Jesus, He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, if we have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, that faith is going to be reflected in our conduct, in how we live. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Christ. And being converted means that we become a new kind of creation, a new creature, a different person from what we were before. And what that is describing is repentance and the results of repentance. Repentance means that we quit sinning. It means that we put to death the works of the flesh. It means that we no longer just live according to our own desires and our own inclinations, but we consciously strive to live according to the commandments of God. We examine our thoughts and behavior and we filter out those things which are inconsistent or opposed to God's laws. In Romans 6 and verse 1, Paul wrote, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And this is what some have taught. Certainly not, though, said Paul. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? But do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptism is in part a symbolic death. It is acknowledging that the old self is dead in a spiritual sense. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. What that means is a different way of life, a way of life that is free from sin, a way of life that resists sin. Not that we're going to be perfect in resisting sin, all the time, but even when we stumble, we need to be aware of our need for continuing repentance and strive even more determinedly to overcome. Verse 5, he says, If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. So metaphorically speaking, when you have gone through that process of repentance and baptism, you have died just as Jesus died on the cross. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We're no longer to live as slaves to sin. 
slaves to our lusts and fleshly desires. Going on in verse 10 of Romans 6, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Notice he said, do not allow sin. Remember what sin is. Sin is the transgression of God's commandments. And we're not to allow sin to reign in our bodies that we should obey sin. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And he's speaking here, law being the old covenant under which individuals were condemned. Because they were, even though they had the law, he doesn't mean that we're not subject to God's commandments. He means that we're not under the law or the old covenant in the sense that we are condemned because under the old covenant the people living under it continued to sin even though they had the law they didn't obey the law as Paul points out elsewhere in, for example in Hebrews chapter chapter 3 and 4 but we're not under that law we're not under the old covenant anymore which produced death because of the carnality of the people. Not that the law was bad. The people were bad. The people were disobedient to the laws that were good. As Paul wrote in Romans 5. The law was good. The problem with the law given to the Israelites under the old covenant. Was the people. And their disobedience to the laws. And the fact that they were not converted. The law was written on tablets of stone, but it was not written in their hearts and minds. They had not undergone this change that Paul is writing about here in this chapter where the old man died and they were living in the newness of life with the help of God's Spirit. And so in verse, four, uh, verse 18 he says, Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness after a manner of speaking, we are to be slaves of righteousness, not slaves in a literal sense, but we are to live as being subject to the law of righteousness. Righteousness consists of obeying God's commandments, and that's what we are to be doing. In order for us to be changed through the power of God's Spirit, we must make a firm decision to turn away from sin and then to follow through with striving to live in harmony with God's commandments. Otherwise, we cannot be reconciled to God because it is sin that has separated us from God. Now, there are lots of people who claim to represent Christ who teach that Christians don't have to 
submit to God's laws because we've been freed from the law. We've only been freed from the law in the sense that, as I was mentioning a moment ago, under the Old Covenant, a curse was pronounced on those who broke God's laws and that curse included death. But under the, the Old Covenant, it was not required to be a citizen of Israel to be converted. And most of them weren't converted. And so as a result of the fact that they were still fleshly and carnal and simply following the lusts of their flesh under the influence of Satan the devil, they lived under the curse of the law. But we have been set free, as Paul said in verse 18 of Romans 6, we have been set free from sin so that we can serve God in righteousness. Now, in Proverbs 1, verse 23, we read, Turn at my rebuke, and that's what repentance is. Repentance means to turn around, to go a different way. In the context of God's laws, it means to quit breaking those laws. And so here in this proverb, it says, Turn at my rebuke, in other words, repent, Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. When we repent, then we are in a position where we can receive the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter said in his sermon in the temple. On the day of Pentecost, shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection, they asked, what should they do? And he said, repent and receive the Holy Spirit. But you can't receive the Holy Spirit until you repent. When we make a firm decision to turn from sin, that is the first step in repentance. And then we set our minds to live in harmony with God's laws. And then we can receive the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to do what we have determined to do. And nobody has to wait to do that. Reconciliation is available now to anyone who wants to follow this formula, who decides that that's what he wants to do and is willing to follow through. Reconciliation is now available to mankind through Christ's sacrifice. And that includes any human being can be reconciled to God now. But mankind or any person must accept God's terms for that reconciliation to be accomplished. Of course, most people so far are not willing to accept God's terms. It's not that the gospel hasn't been heard and it's not that the truth is not available to people. Millions, probably billions of copies of the Bible have been printed and distributed all over the world. But most people have ignored the scriptures and even though that's been done, the gospel must continue to be preached. The true gospel needs to be proclaimed and that message of reconciliation and salvation needs to be taken to the world, actively taken to the world. Jesus preached that message of reconciliation during his sojourn on earth. As we read earlier in Ephesians 2 and verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Speaking in this particular passage of Jews and Gentiles, 
But that's what Christ did. Although he personally restricted his preaching almost exclusively to the Jews, he sent his disciples out, as we read in Matthew 10 and verse 6, to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the people of Israel that were scattered far and wide in many parts of the earth. And later, his disciples were instructed to take the same message to the entire world. He said in Mark 16, verse 16, I believe it is, verse 15, whichever it is, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that was his commission to the church, not just to the original apostles. Because their mission was primarily to take the gospel to the Israelite nations or peoples, and Paul and others were given the task of taking the gospel to the Gentiles. But it was Christ himself directing and giving the instructions for that to be accomplished, for the gospel to be taken to every creature under heaven. And Paul wrote that the gospel had been taken to the entire world even during his lifetime. In Colossians 1 verse 23 he said, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. It was preached to every creature under heaven. In Romans 10 verse 18, Paul wrote, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He's talking about the message of the gospel. Their sound had gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But that's what Jesus Christ commanded to be done. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Notice that Paul says it's through Jesus Christ that the world is being reconciled to God, but to us, he said, has been committed the word of reconciliation, the gospel of salvation. We are ambassadors for Christ to do all we can do to take the message of reconciliation to the world. That's the commission that Christ gave to the church. That's why he sent the apostles out to preach the gospel and to establish churches. And it is up to us to continue that effort in our generation. Now, our puny efforts may seem small and insignificant, but what is not small and insignificant is the power of God. And God will see to it that the message is taken to the world in this generation one way or another with us or without us even though the 
gospel was taken to the entire world in the first century. Many centuries have come and gone since that time. Untold numbers have lived and died, and the work of the gospel is far from finished. During the era of Herbert W. Armstrong, the gospel reached virtually every nation to one degree or another. And yet, at the time of his death, there were many millions, many hundreds of millions on the face of the earth who had never heard of Herbert W. Armstrong. There were pockets of believers in various places around the world during Mr. Armstrong's era, not all of them members of the Worldwide Church of God, by the way, but none, none of those other groups of Christians, wherever they might have been, was preaching the gospel as effectively as he was through the media of publishing radio and television during his lifetime. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 14, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. That doesn't mean that the first time the gospel was preached to the world that the end would come right then. What it does mean though is that just prior to the end the gospel will be preached to the world. At the very end of this age the gospel will be preached to all nations. And so it is clear that there is a great deal of work to be done. By the way, Mr. Armstrong died I believe more than 30 years ago or about 30 years ago. He's dead and I don't know the exact number but probably the majority of the people who were adults in the Worldwide Church of God at the time he was still living are themselves dead. So it's clear there's a great deal of work yet to be done for a credible witness to be issued to all the nations right up to the end of the age. And it will be accomplished one way or another through God's power. It's up to us to do what we can do to contribute to the effort. And God doesn't need us necessarily to accomplish it. But we need to do what we can do to do God's will. To do what God has charged His church with. And that is to take this message of reconciliation to the world. Now, as we read the gospel has been preached at various times to the entire world and at other times to many other countless people. But even so, the real meaning of the gospel is veiled to the vast majority of mankind. Paul said the gospel had been preached to every creature under heaven. But there were only a relatively small number of people who were in the church of God even at its zenith during that time. Down through the ages, the vast majority of people have not been Christians in any sense of the word. Have not even claimed to be Christians. And only a small number of those who have made that claim actually were truly converted. Because the gospel, even though it has been proclaimed, to mankind down through the ages has been veiled. Why is that? Why is it that the message can be preached as plainly as it can possibly be made and God can speak as 
clearly as he can possibly speak, and yet most people don't get it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul said, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Why don't they believe? Because their minds are blinded by the God of this age. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The light is there, but, you know, if you have a light in the room and you close your eyes, the light doesn't shine, at least not inside your head. If there's light out here and you're blind, the light doesn't do you any good. And even though the light has shined, most of mankind is blind because the God of this age has blinded them through his lies and deceptions. Just as most of the Jews to whom Jesus preached rejected the message not fully comprehending it, so most who heard the apostles after Christ's death and resurrection also rejected the message. And so that has continued for thousands of years, or at least a couple of thousand years, actually thousands of years if you go all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve, right up to the present day. And so as Jesus said, many are called but few are chosen. And few are chosen in this age because few have responded to the gospel in a positive way and repented. Remember what we read in Proverbs 23? It says, I'll just read it again. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will power up my spirit. I will make my words known to you. Until people show willingness to repent, they're going to remain blind. But God is allowed this condition to prevail. He has allowed mankind to go his own way. The powerful spirit being who leads the world in rebellion against God through his deceptions is still at work. And he has been and he continues to be very effective in deceiving the whole world with the exception of a relative handful who have responded to the message of Reconciliation, the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, and genuinely repented. Satan's deceptions and their grip on mankind are so powerful that even as God pours out the most severe punishment in rebuke, the world at large will cling stubbornly to their sins. How many people repented, do you think, when God sent the Assyrians to punish Israel and they came in and invaded with their armies trampled down their cities and their countryside and, and killed a lot of the people burnt their cities broke down the walls of their cities and carried the rest into captivity how many actually repented well Israel didn't remain in captivity forever as we've gone through in some of the history of what happened later, they eventually were freed from the yoke of the Assyrians and began to increase in population and spread over much of the earth. But those people were not converted. They were as wicked as ever, even though they had been punished. And the Bible foretells an even more severe punishment to come on not only the people of Israel, but mankind in the future. 
And yet, even in the face of that, they will cling stubbornly to their sins. As we read in Revelation 9 verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, and it recounts before this in the same chapter various curses and plagues being poured out that destroy more than a third of the population of the entire earth. And it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So you might ask, what is it going to take for repentance to occur? And the answer is that it will require the removal of that powerful deceiver, Satan the devil, from his throne. It will require change in government, the government of the world, to supersede the reign of sin and death characterized by Satan's rule. Only then will mankind as a whole be persuaded to repent and be reconciled to God. Only then. Meanwhile, the lessons of rebellion against God will have been written in blood, carnage, sickness, sorrow, misery, and death. Revelation 20 and verse 1 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, or the abyss, not really bottomless necessarily, but that's how it's translated here. Having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the pit, which is what it will be. It will be an actual pit, a hole in the ground, full of burning sulfur. And he will be cast there, as it says, and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little time or a little while. So he is going to be put away, removed from the scene, so that he cannot set about deceiving mankind on the earth for a thousand years. And then what's going to happen? It says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. See, the government is going to be changed. Government of this world which is actually ruled not by human beings. I mean, they, they have their places, but the actual ruler, the, the one who's actually influencing the world and causing the world to go in the direction that it is going, which is contrary to God's way, is Satan. And a new government is going to take over on the earth, Christ's government. And those who have been Satan's agents of deception, teaching false religion and deceptions of all kinds, 
to confuse mankind and mislead mankind will be replaced by teachers of truth who will instruct the nations about the Creator and how to be reconciled with their Creator. And this time, there won't be all kinds of static so that the message cannot get through. There won't be all of these lies that are broadcast continually, these false traditions of men. Those traditions will also be a thing of the past. And there will be human beings, both physical human beings as well as human beings who have been resurrected and made holy into the likeness of Jesus Christ in that they will be spirit beings, no longer flesh and blood. But they will be all over the earth teaching people the truth. They'll be teaching people who is the real God. And they will be teaching people how to be reconciled with God. In Isaiah 1 verse 24, Therefore the Lord says, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. I will... Restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness. He's writing here to or speaking to Jerusalem. The faithful city, Zion, shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him, for the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity, and the water of affliction. Yet your teachers will not be moved to a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. You will also defile a covering of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away. All the world's false religions will be abandoned. The gods will be thrown into the trash heaps. Many of them thrown into the fire to be burned and destroyed, melted down or burned up. In Ezekiel 36 and verse 23, I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you, speaking to Israel, have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord. How are they going to know that God is the Lord? For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle water on you, and you shall be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your filthiness from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now when this happens, God will have sent Israel into the tribulation and those who are left will be of a mind to repent. They will have come to the point of repentance. God will give them His Spirit, a new heart and a new mind. In verse 28, You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it, and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil deeds and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and abominations. Israel will have an attitude and a spirit of repentance and they will loathe themselves because of their sinful conduct and God will restore them and he will restore the nations and they will know that he is God. For us to be reconciled, sin must be covered and removed and so it will be as Satan is removed as God establishes his rule over the earth, Israel and the nations will repent and mankind will be reconciled to God. 